Is it me? Or is the music around here getting better and better and better? Yeah, and the culture's getting far more refined in high society, too. It's like, if you're a guest, welcome to Northridge Church, and I officially apologize on behalf of all of humanity for what's going on right now. And if you're a regular attender, welcome. Glad to have you here. We're one church in three locations, which is an exciting thing to be one community on mission to wake the world up to Jesus. Uh, we're in Brighton Howell and Ann Arbor Saline, as well as here in Plymouth, and then tons of stuff going out uh, online as well. We're just thrilled to have you here, and our goal really is simply to help each and every one wake up to the reality of Jesus. He's the one that can set us free. And there are many of us who are already believers who have kind of been lulled to sleep even as we're in the light and then many who've never yet woken up. And I'm just excited that you're here and engaged in this. And we're in this series called Buck Dynasty. It's a play off of, you know, the huge trending reality show Duck Dynasty. And it's uh, really about taking God's truth and and applying it to the issues of money like he does. And if we're going to wake people up to Jesus, we can't ignore this, this issue because Jesus talked more about money than anything else. It's a, it's a huge issue in our lives. And I just have to give a couple of disclaimers on the front end here. I, I am in no means a financial expert. I would never hold myself up as the standard of how someone should live. I'm an ordinary person like you in spite of perceptions people have of me and churches and all that stuff. I mean, Roxanne and I live in a normal world and a normal income and, and we have to budget and choose to be generous or not and all that different stuff like you. I'm not a financial expert. But you don't have to be a financial expert to look around and see that there are all kinds of huge financial problems in this world these days. I mean, huge significant financial problems. And immediately, many of you, because you're, you're really into news or internet websites on what's going on in the world and whatever, you immediately think, yeah, our government's got all kinds of problems. But I'm not talking about our government. I'm talking about us. I mean, all you have to do is look around, look within, and you see, we've got some real problems when it comes to money, our views of it and how we handle it and where we are with it. And as sad as it is to admit it's important to tell the truth about this, our government is simply a reflection of us. We have these problems and we've got to deal with them. And I, if you're a guest here, you don't know this, but um, it's from my feather pillow. I just sleep backstage while you're going on. But if you're a guest, you don't know. I don't, I'm not a big statistics guy. You know, I don't like throw out statistic after statistic after statistic. I, I, I'm really more interested in people and story. But I have to tell you, a ton of statistics that have come out in recent times about the condition of our finances really do tell the story about our lives, real people's lives. And I'll be honest, they're nightmarish. It is absolutely crazy what's going on in many lives these days in the area of finances. And I just have to tell you, this is not a series about judgment. This is not a series about me pointing at the finger at a bunch of people who are not doing right as if I am. This is a conversation about God's truth. Because Jesus said that his truth will set us free. And the unfortunate reality is too many people are afraid to tell God's truth about money. 
Because none of us who communicate God's truth are perfect ourselves. We don't live up to it. And sometimes we, you know, uh, avoid subjects that we're not perfect at. But if God has communicated truth, we have to have a conversation about that so there's a chance of going free. And I just find in this world too many spiritual teachers are afraid to talk about money because of how they feel about it and because they know people will be uncomfortable by it. But it is about time that we address the issue of truth as it relates to money so that we all have a potential to experience freedom in this very, very difficult area. And, and when I look at the statistics that, that explain the reality of where many of our, us are at in the way we're living with our finances, it just leaves me shaking my head in deep concern. I, I'll give you an example. Uh, I recently found out that one in four Americans, one in four of those of us who live in America, have more debt than savings. Are, are you kidding me? 43% of us, that's almost half of all American families, are spending more than they make every year. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. 46% of all Americans, again, about half of all Americans, carry a credit card balance from month to month. In other words, they're not you know, just paying off their credit cards. They're, they're carrying the bill. And when you take that community of people the close to 50% of Americans who have credit card debt that they carry month to month to month, the average debt they carry when combined is 16000 just under $16,000. I mean, credit card debt. We're not talking about mortgage debt and student loan. Credit card debt. That's, that's just, ah, oh, just, it burdens me. This is 70% of all car purchases, you do know, right, that a car is just transportation, a car is not status, a car is not a big radio that we ride in. You know? It's just transportation, that's all it is. And yet, 70% of all car purchases here in the States involve a loan. In other words, people buy cars that they can't afford. And they do it for all kinds of reasons other than transportation because you can get reliable cars for, for affordable rates, right? And then it gets worse because 45% of all those car loans, and this is on 70% of all cars bought, 45% of all new car loans aren't for one year, two year, three year, four year, five years, or six years. 45% of all car loans are for more than six years. What's a car worth after six years of driving? You're still paying on it. Why not buy a six-year-old car to begin with that you can afford? Let someone else go on the dumper because of that transportation, right? But this is where they're at. And this debt, uh, this is on consumable stuff. And you might not be into financial language, but consumable stuff simply means items that depreciate lose value, don't hold value. Consumable debt means it's on stuff that has no real value in the first place. This, this debt that many are piling up is on stuff that really is air right after they buy it. And it's, it's just nuts. I, 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 when you talk about mortgages, at least you're talking about something that has a, a potential to be an appreciating return. 
Now, those of us who live in America know now <laughs> that might not happen. But at least there's a potential for a return on the investment. Same with student loans. And I mean, it's crazy what people are now, you know, borrowing to go to school as if they'll ever make that much in their lifetime sometimes. But, but it's like at least there's a potential for return on investment. That's why I'm not even talking about that kind of debt. I'm talking about consumable debt. Stuff that we pay on for years that had no value the moment we bought it. And people are in debt to it. I, I just have to be honest. And I, this is just as a fellow citizen of the human race. This kind of debt takes my breath away. It, it, uh, and it's not even my debt. I don't have this kind of debt. This, this kind of debt puts my empathy, my my emotional burden for other people on overload, it's redlined. When I think about the fact that real people are in the whole of debt to this extent, it makes me realize that there's not enough Ambien in the world to put me to sleep if I was living with that kind of debt. I mean, I know what it's like. I have to be honest. We learned our lesson. We learned it the hard way, Roxanne and I. And when I was in seminary studying the Bible and learning how to study the Bible and learning how to communicate the Bible, um, uh, we were really poor. And so we went into some debt on consumable items just so we could live a little bit beyond our means. And I'm just telling you, I know what it's like to pillow your head and your face get all hot because you don't know how you're going to have deal with that. I know what it's like to have the anxiety and stress of that. And, and though we never got into significant consumable debt, credit debt, um, it was very hard for us to pay off what we did have because when we first got married and when we went into ministry for the first long period of our ministry, we had nothing. We lived way below the poverty line and we had four children, but we still... We, we still paid off that debt. And when it was paid off, we decided we couldn't live in that kind of bondage anymore. And so even though we were making nothing, we lived below what we made so that we wouldn't go into debt. And, and I'm just going to tell you, debt-free living has nothing to do with how you make, how much you make. Debt-free living has everything to do with the value of living within your means. But this world of ours doesn't really value that at all and it's leaving us filled with anxiety and stress in fact this is this is what i've discovered that i want to share with you financial problems and debt are the norm rather than the exception they're the norm they should be the exception right uh, a surprise tsunami comes into our lives and and God takes us to a place financially that we just weren't expecting to go and it's beyond what we were saving for emergency and oh my gosh, but it's not the exception. This is where most people are living and you know why they're living there? We can't blame the government and, because they're a reflection of us and we can't blame mom and we can't blame it. You know, most people are living there because of the choices they've been making and it's become the norm and this isn't an attack. I make bad choices too. I'm just telling you, it's like, why would we keep strangling ourselves with stress and anxiety and putting ourselves here when we don't have to? And yet, it's exactly what goes on. I think the reality is captured brilliantly in that gorgeous song that was sung just before I walked out on the platform. And 
It was sung before I came out on the platform because I would have vomited in public if it had been sung while I was on the platform. You know that song, Too Much Month at the End of Our Money? It was written in 1989 by someone who didn't understand quality music, and so he performed it the only way he could. And, and it's still just as relevant. I mean, it is dead on today. I love the line. It's just absolutely classic when he says, I went down to the bank this morning about a half past nine while I was looking for a little something in the credit line. Surprised you didn't get up and do a line dance while I was saying that, but this is the norm. This is how people live. And it leads me to the second idea, the financial freedom, which is what God created us for, where we can breathe and we can live and we can be generous. Financial freedom requires Bucking the system. Bucking the system. Now, this series, Buck Dynasty, you know, it's a play on money and the dynasty money has in our lives. And every one of the titles of the talk is going to have buck in it somewhere. And bucking the system, I mean, it's the perfect reality for the world. Because if you're going to experience financial freedom, you're going to be an oddball in our culture. If you're going to experience financial freedom, not be owned by debt and controlled by debt and live in constant financial anxiety and burden and stress, then it requires swimming upstream. It requires living counter to the culture. Look what God says in Romans chapter 12 too. In every area of our lives, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't you understand the pattern of the world is going to keep destroying your life, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because when you live by God's principles instead of the world's, when you let God transform your values and how you think, you'll be able to then test and approve, demonstrate, experience what God's will for you really is, what God created you to experience, which so few in the world are experiencing, and this is what his will is, good, pleasing, and perfect. His will isn't for you to be in bondage. His will is for you to be free. But you'll never be free as long as you keep doing what comes naturally, we need to let him transform us. I, I said it earlier, I'm not a financial expert, but I am called to speak God's truth. Because God's truth is what sets people free. And I, I just believe if I or anyone else hesitates to speak God's truth because it's an uncomfortable subject, it's a subject that people don't like so much, someone might not like me if I say it, then what's happening is I'm allowing people's opinion of me to take precedence over my burden and compassion and care for them. And so you think talks like this are uncomfortable for you. I have to use double doses of deodorant on days like this. I mean, this is uncomfortable, but it's the truth that can set us free. Here's the truth I want to share this weekend. Uncontrolled debt, and this is now debt that, that controls us. This is when we're going into debt for depreciating and non-value items. It's not an investment in our future. It's an investment in our now that actually steals from our future. Uncontrolled debt and avoidable financial problems, not financial problems that we've done everything right and still, you know, it wipes us out. I'm talking about avoidable financial problems, which is most of our problems. They're simply a symptom of deeper and darker issues in our lives. They really are. They're just a symptom of... Uh, stuff that's deep and buried in our lives that are dark. And, and I just want to show you from God's word what those are. And I'm not going to belabor this this weekend. I'm going to show you what these deeper, darker issues are. And then I'm going to talk about how we can combat them. And then, then I can't do the hard work for you. 
I could keep you in here for the next three years and maybe I'd save you a little debt, but that probably would get ugly. So, Here's the first deep, dark issue. It's we have some view problems, some perception problems. Perception problems. We, we see the world, we see our lives, we, we see money in all the wrong ways. We, we, we see money as providing satisfaction and significance and security and happiness and freedom. And I, I just need you to know if you want to know more about that or look at that more. Last weekend's talk was focused dead on in those areas. But it, it goes further. We... We think that the more money we have and the more stuff money buys or does for us, the more satisfaction we'll have, the more significance, the more security, the more happiness and all that different stuff. But it's just absolutely wrong. The opposite is true. But this is what we do. We, we keep leveraging ourselves beyond our means with debt, thinking that that will lead us to satisfaction and that will lead us to security. And it does the opposite. And the Bible makes this clear. I mean... It, it doesn't take rocket science or modern-day financial experts to get here. God told us this a long time ago. There's a guy named Solomon who lived his whole life for wealth. And it ultimately, even though he was given great wisdom, it ultimately corrupted a lot of his decisions and influenced his relationships and his leadership and all that. And he, he wrote the truth about his life and what he learned about his pursuits. And look what he said in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Life's meaningless when you live this way. Now, this, a lot of people read the Bible and think, man, I just, I hate reading the Bible because it really makes me feel bad. It's just always saying, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. That's, that's not what the Bible's doing. Solomon's not going, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. He's saying, this is how I lived and I blew it. I had a chance of a meaningful life and I made it meaningless because I lived my way instead of God's way. And it's not sitting in judgment of you to tear you apart. It's not trying to get something from you or take you down. It's trying to say, don't make the same mistake. All my life, he's saying, I viewed it through the wrong lens and I found out I never had enough even though I was richer than anyone else in my world. And the same is true with us. We have these perception problems, and it just makes life meaningless. And we have another deep, dark issue we need to face if we're going to understand our problem with money. It's the, the fact that we have a shortage of wisdom. We have wisdom problems. We have unwise financial practices. Some of us have never been taught finances at all. Some of us have never learned them. We're just hanging on, going in with the flow. We, we've got to get wisdom here. We're not saving. We're spending more than we make. We're leveraging debt for our wants. And it's ridiculous. And look what God says in Proverbs 21, 20. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. They have, they have enough for their needs. But a foolish man devours all he has. It doesn't say in the house of the rich there are stores of choice food and oils. It says in the house of the wise. It doesn't say in the, in the house of the poor people devour all they have. They don't have enough. The difference is wisdom and foolishness. Did you know there are poor people who have their needs met and rich people who are living in devastation financially? And it's a wisdom-foolish issue. We're unwise. Look at Proverbs 22.7. The borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower is servant to the lender. This is the way we look at it. We think, I'm going to leverage myself with debt so that I can get greater freedom. 
But it's the opposite. When you leverage yourself with debt, what are you doing? You're multiplying your bondage. So we're trying to, we're trying to get more satisfaction, more security, more significance, more freedom in the very way that's robbing us of those things. The borrower is servant to the lender. This, this problem with finances that, that we tend to have also shows us a heart problem. We have heart problems. Instead of loving God and loving others, we love money and what money can buy and what money can do. And you know what the right heart is. The right heart says, I'm going to love God and I'm going to love others and I'm going to use money as the resource it is. But you know what our world is like, right? We love money and we use God and we use people. And, And don't tell me you don't. I do. I know you do. Show me your prayer list from last week. My prayer list is, you know, God, like, here's the thing. It's about time you make my life good. Or you keep it good. And we, we love what he gives us, and so we're using him to get it. And then, oh, well, I'll go to church. I'll even go to that Northridge place for a little while, but he better, you know, give me something in return. And we're, we're loving the stuff of life, and we're using God. And we do the same thing with people in a big way, don't we? This is our problem. Our heart is messed up. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 21 and 24. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money's not evil. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. In fact, if you have a lot of money and you're burdened by it, give it to me. I'll take it off your hands. (laughs) Nothing wrong with it. You know what the problem is? Loving it. There are some people who are very poor whose obsession is money, thinking if they had more of it, they'd get satisfaction, security, and significance, and they're miserable. There are people who are rich who think that money is their significance and satisfaction, and they're miserable. And then there are people who are poor and rich who see money as a resource, but they love God and love others, and they have joy in whatever station they're at. I mean, this is a big deal. It's a a heart problem. It's loving it that creates evil and bad choices. And the last one, the deeper, darker issue of our financial problems is trust. We, we have trust problems, trust problems. We're trusting and depending on ourselves, and we're wanting to control things ourselves and do things ourselves and be independent rather than trusting and depending on God. I, I, I've thought it in my own life on many occasions. I've heard it a ton from people, you know, and when you're talking about money or giving or generosity or what God says about money, you know, people think, and you've probably thought it, it's like... You know, really, what business is, is it of God's? I earned this money. I've worked hard for this money. I've invested this money. I've gone to school to learn this money. But the truth is that without him giving you life and breath and your abilities and the opportunities you have, you have nothing. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 18. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. I've earned it. I deserve it. It's mine. But remember, the Lord's your God, for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. We have a trust problem in this world. And that's one of the deeper, darker issues of our financial life. Now, I'm going to tell you, this, this weekend has been an interesting weekend for me. Because even when there are thousands and thousands of people here, it's like I can't 
even hear a peep from you. It, it's like, right now, think about it. Thousands of people, no one's even going, <coughs> you can hear a pin drop. People are going, uh, when's he going to stop? <laughs> and so I just need to stop. I need to ask you to breathe because, you know, some of you haven't for a while. And, and I need to ask you, so how, how's it going so far? Are you enjoying this? Was this the exciting cheerleading talk you were looking for? You know, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Uh, here's the application. If we're going to experience financial freedom, if we're going to experience it, we must face and deal with these deeper and darker issues in our lives. We really do. So let me throw them out there, and then you have to deal with them on your own. If we're going to face these issues and experience financial freedom, we need to change our view. We need to begin living by God's view of money instead of our view or the world's view. Look what Jesus said to a world like ours, to people like us, who were you know, a little too much in love with money. He said in Luke 12, 15, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Then he's told a story about a guy who was super rich, had super big barns, who got even more super rich, and so he couldn't figure out what to do with his money, so he tore down his other super rich barns, and he built super, super rich barns. And then he says this, God said to this guy, you fool, this very night your life's going to be demanded from you, you're going to die, then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And then he ends this teaching this way. He says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. You know what is so challenging for me about that passage? He didn't say this is how it's going to be for anyone who's rich. He said this is how it's going to be for anyone who stores up things for themselves. Who focuses on themselves. Who focuses on their own good and isn't rich toward God. And I'm going to tell you, I know my life, and I can't tell you that I've had enough of God already. I can't tell you, I am so stinking rich in my relationship with God that I couldn't stand one more ounce of God if he had it to give. I feel poor in my relationship with God. I want, I want so much more of God in my life. Don't you? But I keep, I keep pursuing other things instead of that. And I know a lot of other people do as well. There's only one form of prosperity that's genuinely worth giving our life to. And it has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with being rich in God, being rich in our relationship with God, because that's where satisfaction and security and significance and happiness and freedom are going to come from. But we keep pursuing other kind of wealth instead, and often we're pursuing God for the other kind of wealth, not for Him. We need to change our view. If we're going to deal with this deep, dark issue that lies underneath the surface of our financial lives, we need to live by God's wisdom. We need to stop practicing the foolishness of this world and we need to start practicing the wisdom of God's truth. When God wanted to teach us about how he created this world and what the best way of living life is as it relates to the resource he provides for us, he looked around the world and, and he couldn't find, this is before Jesus was born, he couldn't find one person to, to show us an example. 
So when he was talking to people about, boy, if you want to know how I created this world, you want to know the best way to live, then, then look what he says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. I guess you'll have to go to the ant. Consider the ant's ways and be wise. It stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at harvest. He says, look, you, know, you want to know how I created this world? Look at the ant. It's brainless. And it knows you have to live within your means. You have to work and save and store so that when problems come, you have. Why are we so unwise when even the ant knows how to live? It's because we have decided that we know better than God, that we don't have to live life according to his design, that his truth is not absolute and doesn't matter, that we can get away with things that he said we couldn't get away with, that we're the exception, and that we can live any way we want and it'll be okay. Whereas the ant is smart enough to know, no, you know the way God made things, that's the way it is. We need to learn from the ant. It's crazy. You know what God's wisdom says? Pay now, play later. Do you know what the world says? Play now and someone else will pay. I'm serious now. Play now. Pay later. Maybe. But God says, you want to experience life as I designed it? Pay now. Play later. There's another area of wisdom that he gives us. Look at Acts 20.35. The Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Happiness, joy, satisfaction, fulfillment, contentment, life, significance, security. It all comes through the process of being generous with resources, not being selfish with resources. You know, God's wisdom teaches that generosity and giving doesn't subtract from our lives. It adds to our lives. But you know what the world teaches? Man, when you give and you're generous, it subtracts. We have to stop conforming to the pattern of this world because it's ripping us off. It's keeping us from the very things that we're looking for in life. If we're going to experience financial freedom, we have to stop viewing money as something we have to hoard because it's a limited pie and the the less we have, the more others have. And the more we have, the less other people have. And we have to start seeing God as the one who can supply all of our needs. If we're going to experience financial freedom, we need to start living by God's promises. The reason our hearts are bad is because we have lived in a world of broken promises where we just take control ourselves. We're just going to do it ourselves now. But if we're going to experience the right kind of heart and love God and love others instead of money, we have to start living by God's promises. And look what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 31. Don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Would you stop filling yourself with anxiety, leveraging yourself in debt to get these things? But seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, God and his ways, and all these things will be provided for you. God's going to provide them. Look at Philippians four nineteen, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. My God, he has to be your personal God. You have to be trusting him and believing in his promises. We'll meet all your needs, all of them, not some of them, all of your needs, not your wants. According to his glorious riches, he owns everything. Wouldn't it be cool to come up with an idea, you know, a business idea or some kind of creative innovation and, and 
have some guy worth billions, maybe they're part of Twitter, you know, and uh, have somebody worth millions say, I'm going to be your venture capitalist. I love that idea. I think it's got profitability. I think it's got margin. Here you go. Wouldn't that be great? I don't know about you, but I've found very few people that are willing to invest in my ideas that way. My wife doesn't even like most of my ideas. So, but I read the Bible, and here's what I find. God has decided to back me. He's my venture capitalist. The God who owns everything has said, I'm, I'm going to provide for you. You trust me. I'm going to provide for you. And he's done the same for you. That is an unbelievable promise that we have to start taking seriously. But most of us don't because we're believing in the promises of the world instead of the promises of God. We're not swimming upstream. We're floating in the current. And it's messing us up. And there's one last deep, dark issue we have to face. We need to, if we're going to get financially free, really experience freedom from this junk, we need to rightly place our faith because our faith has been in the wrong thing. We need to rightly place our faith Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord, not in yourself, not in money. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Stop thinking that you can figure it all out and that you know more than God. Trust him. In all your ways, trust him, and he will make, no matter how circular your paths seem, he'll make them ultimately straight. You'll end up in the right place. Here's the interesting reality. We tend to say that we trust him with our lives, but we're not willing to trust him with our money, but that's... A paradox that's unachievable because money's a part of your life. We love the mystery. Oh, I trust you with my life. Trust and obey. But there's no other way. Yada, yada, yada. Yada, yada, yada. I just went from English to Hebrew. I know, but you get the idea. <laughs> but we won't even trust him with the small pieces of our lives. No wonder we're hurting so badly. I want to encourage you with some things I've had to really work through in my own life. You need to trust him enough to live within your means. Because when you choose to live outside of your means, you are saying, I don't trust you and your provision. I'm going to make a way that you haven't made. And what we're usually doing is we're usually cutting him off at the pass. We're usually making it impossible for him to come through for us because we're replacing him with debt. Why would you want to replace God with debt? Doesn't even make sense. And remember, I'm talking about this consumable stuff. I'm not even, I'm not tagging mortgages and all. I have to, come on, trust him enough to live within your means. Trust him enough to wait on your unnecessary purchases. I believe kids should eat. I really do. And I believe that if you have nothing, you should do whatever it takes to make sure your kids eat. Northridge Church is very invested in helping feed the hungry and provide needs for the, the needless uh, here and around the world, very invested. And so is most of America. There are social nets for anyone where kids aren't eating. But most of our debt isn't to feed our kids, right? Most bankruptcy, most debt has nothing to do with that. It has to do with unnecessary purchases. I just wanted a little bigger house. I wanted a bigger stereo to ride in the highway on. 
I couldn't express love with a carrot diamond. I needed a couple carrot diamond. Otherwise, she'd say no. You know, if she'd say no because of the size of your diamond, run. <laughs> because that's not going to be the last of her wants. And it goes in the other direction too. Come on, trust him enough to wait on your unnecessary purchases. Acquiring your wants is not worth leveraging them debt. Trust him enough to wait until you can pay for them. Trust him enough for the happiness you used to try and get by purchasing stuff you couldn't afford. Wouldn't it be a great thing if we could just trust him for the joy that we've been looking to stuff to fill? We'd be a lot happier. Trust him enough to obey him in giving, in being generous. Because when we don't trust him enough to obey him in giving, we're robbing ourselves of the joy that comes through generosity. And I'm not saying you have to give everything away. You should be generous. It's not a rich poor thing, it's a heart thing, it's a trust thing. Now, of course. Before we can trust him with these things in our lives, we have to trust him with our life. And because we haven't been trusting him with our life, and I'm talking to believers and unbelievers' life, because we haven't been trusting him with our life, the truth is the, the majority of us, as defined by these statistics and finances, but defined by every statistic in every area of life, the majority of us could be defined by weary and burdened. I mean, just weary and burdened. Because you see, when you try and control a world that's out of control, you're going to get weary and burdened. When you try and replace God and what only he can provide with things that can't, you're just going to keep fighting and fighting and fighting and get weary and burdened. And this is exactly what's gone in our lives. This is why Jesus came, by the way. Jesus came... Because he knew no matter how hard we fought, no matter how much we worked to overcome our failures, we couldn't do it for the wages of our sin is death and separation from God. And so he came and he died in our place. And then he rose again to give us a brand new account to draw from, a whole new life. But you're going to be weary and burdened until you come to him. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says it. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. This isn't just talking about money. This is talking about life. If you're a believer here already, I just really want to encourage you. Come back to him. If you're weary and burdened, it's because you've got some perception problems and some trust problems and some heart problems and some issues in your life that are keeping you from coming to him. Come to him and let him give you rest. But I believe some are here. Just before I give you the last thought, some are here and you've never, ever taken the first step of coming to him. If you're weary and burdened, it's time. And so before I finish this talk, I'm just going to ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment, and then I'll throw out a sentence and we're done. Take my words in this prayer and make them yours. Come to him. Just say, Jesus, I'm, I'm weary and I'm burdened. I've tried to do life on my own without you, and I know that's not just sin, but it's foolish. I can't do it. And so in this moment, I'm coming by faith. 
asking you to forgive me based upon your cross and to give me new life based upon your resurrection. Give me rest. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me before I fill in this last sentence, let us know, would you? If you just prayed, just if you're in one of our live services, we give you these programs. Just take out the connection card, fill it out, check off the circle at the bottom, and, and there are boxes at every exit of all of our three campuses. And just throw it in there, and we'll send you some next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. And if you're watching Northridge On Demand, just hit the What Next button. We'll do the same for you. Here's the solution to this whole problem. In the area of finances, in the area of every part of our life, by faith, we need to come to him. By faith, in any area we're weary and burdened, by faith, we need to come to him. And when we do, he gives us rest. So if you're feeling weary and burdened right now, it's a clear symptom that you're not coming to him, trusting in him, that there are some heart problems, perception problems, trust problems, promise problems. It's time to trust him. Because when you do, and you come to him, he gives you rest. And then you no longer need Ambien to go to sleep, right? Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Mm.